Hello, my name is John Stringfellow, and you're listening to No Strangers Here on 88.5 FM, WCUG Cougar Radio. Uh, lately, I've been thinking about themes in regards to uh, writers who are scared about their work, about putting their work out there, uh, worry that their work may go amiss um, in society um, when you try to submit your work to uh, literary magazines, poetry magazines, uh, whatever whatever you like to submit, from short stories to uh, serialized novels to poetry, anything like that. Uh, even music, music and artwork. Um, and so lately I've been thinking about that sort of idea of fear when it comes to submitting uh, work. Because as of late, I myself have also have been striving to submit more and more of my poetry towards literary magazines and uh, poetry-centered magazines as well. And there has been that sort of fear of um, opening up your email and seeing a decline. You know, and, and of course, I, I've been, uh, my work as well has been declined. And that's something that we all must go through um, as artists, as creatives to reach out to the world and try to make something out of ourselves. We do have to anticipate that not everyone's going to get it or not everyone is going to uh, want to get it. <laughs> uh, but you just you just keep throwing stuff uh, out there and you keep working and you keep creating and eventually something will stick. Because for people like myself, I often look towards my quote-unquote mentors Um, and what I mean by that is I look towards my poetic heroes in a sense Uh, I look to poets such as uh, William Carlos Williams T.S. Eliot, Urza Pound Hilda Doolittle also known as H.D. Um, I look to Walt Whitman I look to Emily Dickinson I look to Edgar Allan Poe Um, I look to Shel Silverstein even uh, he being my favorite uh, childhood poet (laughs) Uh, but but the list goes on and on. I can go on for hours about all the people who inspire me to write and keep me going writing. Um, also, my family and friends included also uh, keep me going as well. Uh, but like I said, as of late, I've been thinking about getting declined, getting rejected, getting um, told that your work isn't quite what the magazine or literary review magazine was looking for. And... It made me think that, you know, at one point in time, and no matter who it was, even if it was the most famous painter of all time, even if it was the most famous musician of all time, even if it was the most famous poet of all time, at one point in time, certainly in their life, they were rejected as well. They too were pushed aside. Uh, They too got a decline. And I wanted to share that because not to say that this is an original idea, of course, I'm sure there are many been there have been many people out there who have had the same or at least similar ideas to this. But all of our heroes who inspire us to create and inspire us to continue to work to what we strive for, they too struggled. Um, a fine example of this is Kurt Vonnegut. Um, he was one of my favorite. He is one of my favorite authors of all time. He got me into writing science fiction he got me into writing in general Uh, before then I I did a little bit of writing but it wasn't much it wasn't anything worthwhile in my opinion it was just 
tidbits of things. But after reading Slaughterhouse-Five and after reading uh, Player Piano and Sirens of Titan um, and reading his essays about happiness and about storytelling, I can honestly say I probably wouldn't be writing what I do write about and to the extent of which I write if it hadn't been for Kurt Vonnegut. And it amazes me that someone who was so inspirational towards me on my ideas of writing and how I want my stories to go, he too also went through life with lots and lots of failures. I mean, for example, his first couple books didn't really hit the mark right with the public. Critics overall liked him, but commercially he didn't really do all that well and he was a very starved artist and he was struggling very much so um and he wasn't really recognized as a writer until he wrote slaughterhouse five which by then he was in his i believe late 30s maybe mid 30s Um, but he had been writing ever since he uh came back home from the second world war um even before then he had been writing and submitting work so it, it gives me a sign of hope and it amazes me to have known that one of the people I look up to also was in the same position that I am now. And for anyone who's also experiencing that, any fellow creatives, any fellow uh, people working day to day, anyone who is just looking for something in their life to give them purpose and meaning, um, anyone who is striving towards a dream, um, just let it be known you're not alone. <laughs> there, there was many times where I myself felt that, it, am I the only one noticing what's going on in my own life? Um, and the answer to that is you're not. You, there's, there's a very large world, um, and yet at the same time very small, of people who are also going through the exact same thing all across time from here to hundreds of years ago to um, hundreds and hundreds of years ago in the future there will be people also struggling um, so you're not alone you're, you're not alone in this and I want to share that with you and I felt that the, that was very much a strong point in this poem in my observation in my analysis of uh, Emily Dickinson's poem Time and Eternity poem number 13 now I took this out of a, a book that I had a, poetry collection I had bought from Barnes & Noble. Uh, shout out to all my co-workers at Barnes & Noble. <laughs> um, they, they sell a collection there, and it's separated into categories and sections, and one of them being, one of the categories being time and eternity, and this just happens to be poem number 13. Uh, Emily Dickinson was known to be very much um, a reclusive, and she was also very much known in her poetry to not give it a title. <laughs> Uh, But to give you sort of uh, a perspective as to where she falls in line with other poets, I feel that she is very much in the category of a timeless poet. For example, you have poets like Walt Whitman um, who specifically wrote about uh, a certain time period, a certain theme in America, pre and post civil war reading his poetry and knowing um at what time period he was living and writing and gives a really good idea as to the thematics of his poetry um and i i I believe that 
if you were to read Emily Dickinson's poetry, uh, her work seems to be very much timeless in the sense that this could be a poem if it had been written today. And it would be a poem that would still make sense to us. Um, so, as I said, I'll be reciting Time and Eternity, poem number 13 by Emily Dickinson. That short potential stir that each can make but once, that bustle so illustrious tis almost consequence, is the eschlot of death. O oh, thou unknown renown, that not a beggar would accept, had he the power to spurn. I think this poem is brilliant. Um, I haven't done much analysis work with Emily Dickinson before, uh, this being one of the uh, couple that I have. Uh, but this poem, as I said, really stood out to me. Um, not only by her word choice, but how she structured this poem is, to me, not only brilliant, but something I strive for myself in my own poetry. Um, so let's break this down. Um, one of the first things I wanted to notice here is her use of the word eschlet. Uh, that is spelled E-C-L-A-T, and the E has a little accent mark above it. Uh, the definition of that is brilliant display or effect. Uh, and there's a secondary definition, meaning social distinction or conspicuous success, right? And so thinking of that, that phrase is, is the eschlot of death. So that is the brilliant display or effect or the social distinction or conspicuous success of death, right? So keep that in mind. Hold hold that, hold that sentence, that phrase, that definition in mind while I, I break down this poem. So starting off with the first line, that short potential stir that each can make but once, that bustle so illustrious tis almost consequence. So that's that's the first four lines of the poem. That's part one, as I like to describe it. That is, I broke that into part one, right? That short potential stir that each can make but once. So those first two lines, to me, refer to what we know as being at 15 minutes of fame, as Andy Warhol said, um, that, that one moment where we're all in the spotlight, that we can feel as though we can change the world, as though uh, we have the power at our very fingertips to create and do and change the minds all around us. Um, so I felt that this referred to a 15 minutes of fame or writing in a pure connection to a subject. Um, in poetry, we can use subject matter and we can use themes to illustrate the point we're making. Uh, but to talk about and to write about a subject matter to the purest form that it can be can be so substantial to an audience or readers um, that in them it causes that short potential stir. And so that's what I felt the, the first two lines were, were talking about. Um, and Dickinson describes a moment of inspiration here, uh, or the moment before uh, a spark of inspiration occurs. Don't you ever have that, um, for my fellow poets and fellow writers here, don't you ever have that moment in you where suddenly everything feels like it's building up inside your chest or in your head? Um, whether it was someone who just said a sentence um, and, and the last few words sort of lingered in your mind, 
or you were listening to a piece of music regardless of genre and all of a sudden you felt this this build up in you this 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 amount of power inside of you that that in your mind you thought this is going to bring out a great poem or this is going to bring out a great uh, chapter in my next book you know that's what I felt that what she had meant also in that short potential stir uh, occurring but once right it, it, it feels like this is the moment this is what it's all been accumulating to this is what I've been expecting to happen to me all this while this is this is it you know this is this is going to be the poem that makes me this is going to be the book the short story the paragraph the one line the word that that sets me on the map right and reading those first four lines to me was so powerful because i know exactly what she's talking about <laughs> uh i too had also wrote a poem uh i called click um which was exactly that all about that emotion that feeling um, it just took me a whole poem to explain that as opposed to Emily Dickinson's genius to be able to do that in just four short lines. Uh, and so to get back to the poem, I believe that Dickinson recognizes these feelings and that the arise of, of emotion brings about a penultimate point of inspiration, of writing, of creativity in I'm of the belief that Dickinson did this because she too, as I had mentioned before, many of our heroes and writers also experience many of these things. Dickinson too has experienced this. She too has experienced a time of where potential had grew in her and she wanted to create something. She, she sensed it. It was right there. She could feel it. And that I feel is one of the reasons why Dickinson has been so timeless is because these are still all the same emotions, all the same thoughts that we still have. Um, it's just that she has managed to display them in such a brilliant and beautiful way. Um, that point of full potential creativity can feel like, uh, as Dickinson has said here, almost a consequence. Um, and what I mean by that is when she says tis almost a consequence, when you feel that potential stirring in you, when you feel that moment coming about, it can sometimes be robbed away from you or it can sometimes not turn into anything. You just feel all this potential riding inside of you and you're thinking, where do I go with this? You know, you're staring at your computer, you feel the inspiration coming on, you're ready to write, and poof, nothing. <laughs> um, and Dickinson recognizes this too. This is, again, another emotion that has survived the test of time. This isn't a problem that has been solved quite yet. This is still a issue within us all uh, and within creatives and writing, writers and poets and musicians. This is something we still experience today. There is no present solution that eliminates this. And with all this in mind, with with just these four lines of all these ideas that, that are being brought forth here, I want to recall back to that, that very first line I was talking about with Eschlot. That word is the Eschlot of death, right? So... 
combining these two ideas, all this potential building up in you, you're struggling to figure out what you want to do with it, and you just want to put it out, and how it can feel like a consequence. Dickinson says that all of this can feel, or in this case is, the eschlot of death, that all this potential we're feeling, all this inspiration we're feeling, that may not even amount to anything, or may not even bring forth or yield any sort of story or poetry, can feel like the brilliant display or effect of death, or the social distinction or conspicuous success of death. And I remember doing my analysis on this. I remember doing my analysis on this and thought, wow, that is amazing. That's, that's how that can sometimes feel. You know, there, there have been many times where I feel robbed almost <laughs> from, from the inspiration that I build up inside of me and that it's almost or feels worse <laughs> than the success of death in the eyes of death, right? You have all this girth, all of this potential, all of this murky sort of ideas that could become something, but you don't know what to do with them. You just have them in your heart and you don't know how to put them out there. And you don't know how to be creative in the way that you want to be creative. We all have goals that we want to reach in our poetry, in our short stories, in our novels, in our art, but sometimes we feel as though we can't quite reach it. It's, it's right there. It's at the tips of our toes. It's, it, we, can, we can smell it. We can almost taste it, right? It's, it's like it's just a table away from us, and, and we're glued to our chairs, and we're really striding hard to reach over and just grab it. But as Dickinson say, all this, tis almost consequence, is the eschlot of death. And so the line, tis almost consequence, I, from that point up, I separated as part one. And then with the beginning line of part two is the echelon of death. I describe the rest as part two. But to give you a visual of what I'm looking at here in my own notes, having broken or having broken both of these lines into two sections is the echelon of death. I use this as the line that describes part one. So in a way, Emily Dickinson was not only able to describe and put down onto paper as to these emotions we feel into just four lines, but she's also able to sum up those four lines into just one idea. I mean, is that is that amazing or what? <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> like, really? Just wow. And with that, I feel that this second part... In a way, the rest of the second part is sympathetic, or should I say rather empathetic, because Emily Dickinson knows and existed in the exact same mind frame as many of us do. So with um, her description being, is the echelon of death, to me it brought about a sort of limbo point of accomplishing greatness or bringing about the brilliant effect uh, or the display of death. And I don't mean death as in literal death, I mean death of an idea, death of uh, potential, that 
we enter into this limbo state of whether or not this idea we're having is going to ride or die, right? And so that made me think, like, is Dickinson comparing the moments of frustration as a moment of death uh, for the spirit or for the mind or for the idea? And if that is the case, then would that mean that all frustrations in life, all frustrations within work, all frustrations with um, even meaningless tiny things that, that we, we we ought not to give so much credit to sometimes um, is that a display or a moment of death and if that's the case how much does that weigh how much does that affect us as individuals is Dickinson here trying to say that because we put too much potential because we put too much weight uh, because we put too much of our minds and spirits and hearts into things that these moments of death that we're feeling build up and they just keep building up because we keep repeating the same pattern that makes you really think for a moment there that really makes you or at least especially for me it made me really want to evaluate my whole idea of how I write you know because there are there are lots of times where I have stories or I have poems that I think I, I really hope this is good <laughs> you know I hope someone likes this but is my frustration is my worry sacrificing what could be beautiful what could be something is it because that i'm putting too much weight too much thought into this one thing that i'm accidentally killing the very thing i'm striving for so in the next three lines that in the poem dickinson says oh thou unknown renown that not a beggar would accept had he the power to spurn so this is a way that I interpret as being Dickinson's way to describe her frustration, the unknown renown or unknown renown. I thought that this might have been a connection to Dickinson's uh, lack of publishing. Um, she had written over 1,800 poems, roughly, uh, but she only published maybe just a few, a handful in her lifetime. And so was this line a way to reflect on her life um she had written extensively prolifically throughout her whole life and only published maybe a few of her poems that ever made it to newspapers and magazines so is this a call out to herself is this a way for her to bring about her own acknowledgement of her reclusiveness or she also aware that there are also many people like her in the sense of not publishing work as much or not wanting to submit work for publication. And so reading this, it makes sense that she believed her work was powerful, her and her work being the unknown renown. Though she did not publish most of her work, in fact, almost all of her work she didn't publish, uh, but she knew that there was indeed beauty and power in her poetry. She knew that these poems were going to go somewhere someday. Maybe not today, but later on in the future, in, in the course of time. And honestly, uh, this is the most accurate prediction I've, I've seen yet. <laughs> um, I mean, who, who can say that, that they were able to write down a poem and have it come true posthumously way you know, nearly hundreds of years into the future, right? 
um, I don't know many people who can honestly say that, that they, they were able to do something like that. <laughs> um, but to continue, uh, Dickinson's um, feelings of rejection, frustration, and hanging uh, within the limbo of creativity, uh, of death, of an idea, as Dickinson puts it, uh, that not even a beggar would accept such feelings if he had the power to disdain them. So not only does she recognize these feelings within herself and within her fellow creatives um, and the lack of, of recognizing ourselves and the lack of holding off from putting too much of ourselves into one thing, um, that this isn't just emotions that people who are classified as quote-unquote creative this is an emotion and a series of feelings that live through us all this is something everyone experiences no matter what field you're in even if you don't consider yourself as being someone who makes art or being someone who writes poetry or someone who is a creative this is something that we all feel regardless of where you belong or where you believe you take place. This is something that even, as Dickinson says, a beggar feels. And these feelings are something that even a beggar would wish to have the power to reject these feelings of rejection. <laughs> and so, for me, that was a really brilliant way for her to wrap it all up. And from analyzing this, there's just so much to unpack. There's so much to detail to go through. There's so much idea in between and within every line of this poem. And it's only eight lines long, two stanzas, right? So it, it, it was a brilliant, a brilliant poem to analyze and a lot to take in personally. Uh, there was a lot of emotion that went into this poem and that emotion is still living on paper in books in classrooms today uh, but to conclude this analysis of Dickinson's poem uh, I felt that Dickinson compared such feelings of fear and frustration within her own art uh, then, then within the second stanza uh, that these feelings are also felt by everyone else uh, even a beggar uh, but yet, no matter who you are, you can't reject them. We all face our frustrations in our work and within ourselves. So that is to say that for those who are feeling these emotions, for those who um, may, may purposely or be unaware of these emotions, again, you're not alone. And again, this is something that we all go through and more or less have to go through in life it, it's just as simple as that uh, we, it's just something that has to be done it's something that just it's part of our lives and we just have to accept that we, we have to accept and learn to more or less even appreciate rejection whether it's on a low end or at a very high end um no matter the gauge of importance, it's just something we have to accept as a fact of life, that it's going to happen. Um, and by not accepting that, 
we may sacrifice the beauty of our images. We may sacrifice, be sacrificing the beauty within ourselves because we're holding on to this rejection and because we're holding spite against ourselves for being rejected. So I thought that was a wonderful poem. Um, for any of those who were intrigued by that, for any of those who had never heard of Dickinson before, highly, highly encouraged to look into her work because, as I said, her, her work and her ideas within her poetry are simply timeless. And having listening to this poem, what are, what are your thoughts about it? Share it with your friends. Share it with your family. How did this poem make you feel? What ideas did it bring forth to you? With that in mind, I highly encourage anyone who is writing poetry or is interested in poetry to check out uh, our Twitter uh, for the radio show. It's called At Strangers Here. And um, feel free to shoot us a, a, a quick tweet. Feel free to DM us. Um, we're always live. We're always answering. We're always trying to post things here and there. And we're, we're always, always excited about poetry, excited about art, excited about everything that comes uh, about with creativity and emotion. I hope you are all having a wonderful day. And I hope you enjoyed that poetry analysis as much as I did. And I will see you guys later.